On the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to ask the question, does Jesus' kingdom exist now? Yeah, uh, it's a really important topic, and I think there's a whole lot of misunderstanding about things related to Jesus' kingdom. And we want to sort of search that out tonight. All right, it is an important discussion, as you said, uh, one that... um, it's maybe increasingly important with lots of events going on in the world around us. We're going to talk about that and get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for thursday september 1st 2022 thank you for joining us tonight my name is jacob gwen my father greg gwen joins me good night great good night. To, hello great to be with you jacob kyle's behind the controls kyle welcome yeah, it's good to be here glad you're here kyle glad you're listening tonight the number to call, as you know, if you've listened before, 931-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. And the fastest way to get your comments heard, maybe not the best, but the fastest is in the chat window to the bottom or the right or somewhere around your video feed. Sign in and chat with other listeners. You can use a pseudonym. You don't have to use your real identity. Uh, but uh, send us a message there and let us know your thoughts on this important topic. Jacob, earlier this week, the congregation that you work with in Franklin had a special event, mm-hmm. and it sort of, the first night of it spent a, a good bit of time talking about kingdom things mm-hmm. and what to expect. You know, well, really, this, the the study was about what to expect at the end of time. When when will Jesus return? But a lot of people think that the end of time will bring special developments concerning a kingdom with Jesus as the king, and it's really all kind of out of whack. There's just a lot of misunderstanding and and misapplication of Bible information leading people to conclude some false things. You know, you can take a few wrong turns in when you're interpreting prophecy and get to some places that are just strictly out of bounds and not, not in harmony with the scriptures. And I think that's what people have done with this. They're taking scriptures that say certain things and they're using them in ways that are not in alignment with other verses and they're coming up with these doctrines that completely are out of harmony with the the bible and we need to look at those things and as we look at these prophecies that are difficult to understand maybe we've got to make sure that we don't interpret them in any way that would force a contradiction that's just a simple rule of bible study it's often ignored but it's definitely a necessary simple rule of bible study Jacob, you, uh, that, that special event, two-night event you all had in Franklin, you might give the website if people care to look at those lessons. Steve Klein taught two great lessons on when will Jesus return, when will the end be. Yeah, it's uh, franklinbiblestudy.com is the, is the website, franklinbiblestudy.com. You can find the links to those uh, those presentations there. I know Dwight and Michelle out in Iowa were watching, and Brian in California was watching. I see Eric in the chat room. He was there. And Grant and Janie were there. A lot of folks in listening tonight were part of that study. Um, but if you weren't, uh, you can find it there. So uh, really, s- that study is what prompted me to think this would be a, a worthy topic for the virtual Bible study. Right. So, and so we're just asking the very simple question. 
does Jesus' kingdom now exist? That's what we want to talk about in our study tonight. Earlier today to our update list, we sent out these questions. Get on our list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. We sent out these questions earlier today. Number one, what does the theory of premillennialism teach about the existence of the Lord's kingdom? Number two, what does Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's interpretation of it predict about the Lord's kingdom? And that that information is found in the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 2. Number three, what predictions were made about the kingdom during Jesus' lifetime on earth? Number four, how do the events on the day of Pentecost relate to the prophetic predictions about the kingdom? And how is the kingdom referred to after Pentecost as recorded in Acts 2? And then maybe to drive this all home, the last question we ask is, why is this important anyway? Why should we even worry about this? It's very important. Some might say, well, yeah, just don't, don't, don't sweat it. Yeah, there's some serious ramifications. If this doctrine is true that the kingdom doesn't exist today, there are serious implications of that. Well, it's an important Bible doctrine, Jacob. If I got my numbers right here, reference to the kingdom is found 342 times in the Bible, 158 times in the New Testament. So <clears throat> just by virtue of how often it's referenced, you got to get uh, you got to get an impression that it's really a significant important topic. Yeah. It's because it's talked about all the time. And uh, we believe it is an inter- eternally important topic. Uh, before the foundations of the world, the kingdom was uh, important to God. He had planned it. Yeah. And we'll make those connections here in a minute. Okay. So the first question I ask is, what does the theory of premillennialism teach about the existence of the Lord's kingdom? So if I could give just sort of a thumbnail sketch of the basic idea of premillennialism. I, I, through the years, as I've talked to people who, and studied with people who believe in premillennialism, I've come to the conclusion that there are almost as many different takes or views or opinions about premillennialism as there are people who believe in it. I mean, people are all over the board in regards to what they believe. But the basic idea is this. Jesus came to establish his kingdom when he came back 2,000 years ago. He was rejected by the Jews who didn't want him to be their king. And so instead of coronating him as king, they crucified him on the cross. So that was that was just plan, plan B basically had to go into effect because that just wasn't what the Lord wanted. Plan B was to set up the church to sort of hold place in time until the Lord could come back again and this time succeed in establishing his, his kingdom on earth. So we're in that waiting period. We're in the, the premillennialists would say we're in the church age. But the Lord is going to come back, and he's going to come back. Uh, but but there will be some things that precede it. Leading up to all of this, there's going to be a rapture of, of the saints. All the good people are just going to be caught away. There used to be, I haven't seen it in years, but there used to be a bumper sticker that people had in their car. In case of the rapture, this car will be unmanned. And the idea was people to be zapped out. I mean, they'd just be gone, disappear, just into thin air. And so here's a guy driving his car, but he's raptured, and his car just goes careening out of control because the driver's gone. Um, so that most premillennialists think that we're on the verge of this. This, this is likely to happen just any time now. Mm-hmm. There'll be this rapture, and all the good people will be taken away. And... And that will leave the earth in a really precarious situation. There are going to be seven years of harsh tribulation on earth. 
at the end of that seven years, by the way, the there were some books in the 90s written and some movies made on those books called the Left Behind series. And the Left Behind series was about the people who would be left on earth when all when, when the good people had been raptured away. The Bible doesn't talk anything. You can't find the word rapture Not in, in the Bible. Not but, in but again, it's a very basic premise of the premillennial doctrine. So then, so after the rapture, seven years of tribulation on earth. At the end of the seven years, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back with his angels. He's going to come back with his saints. He's going to fight the forces of evil. There's going to be the great battle of Armageddon. The, the book of Revelation mentions in very symbolic ways. I don't think it's literal at all, but they believe it is. There will be a literal battle. Uh, some of them will dis- very graphically describe blood will run as deep as the horse's bridles in the valley of Jezreel. There will be this great battle. Jesus is going to win it, and he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. He's going to set up David's throne in the city of Jerusalem, and he's going to reign from Jerusalem for a, a peaceful thousand years on earth. There's the millennial. There's the millennium of premillennialism. So he's going to reign for a literal thousand years on earth. At the end of that will come final judgment, and the, the righteous will be ushered to heaven. The wicked will be delivered to hell. But the reason it's premillennialism is the millennium, the millennial reign of Jesus comes before the final judgment. That's the most popular view. There's actually something called post-millennialism that says the millennial reign will be after the judgment. But and then there's, that's not nearly as popular. And then there's pre-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. Yeah. I mean, it, all kinds of flavors. As you can see, once we start to mix up literal and figurative and misinterpret uh, prophecy, then we can go in all different directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... What does the my first question was based on all of that? What does the premillennial theory teach about the existence of the Lord's kingdom? Well, very simply, and and again, there's just all kinds of variations on premillennialism, but they all believe that the kingdom has not been established not yet. Jesus has got to come back to settle some scores here, yeah. and settle and to finish up some business. Yeah, I got yeah. a couple of interesting quotes here. Uh, uh, R.H. Bowl writing years ago. He he was a member of the Church of Christ, but he was a premillennialist. Uh, he said in his book, Kingdom of God, he said, the kingdom announced by John and afterward by the Lord himself, Mark 4, 17, um, Matthew 4, 17, Mark 1, verses 14, 15, could have been none other than that of Old Testament prophecy. That kingdom, though announced as at hand, in the first century, has never yet appeared. Wow, he admits it is, that it was prophesied to be at hand. He, he admits that in the first century, the announcement was made that the kingdom was at hand, and yet it hasn't come. We're 2,000 years removed from that, and it hasn't come yet. That's just one example of when we misinterpret the scriptures, we force contradictions. Yeah. He's forced a contradiction. He admits it's a contradiction, yeah. and yet he holds to that doctrine. J. Dwight Pentecost, in a book called Things to Come, says... David's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, must return to the earth bodily and literally in order to reign over David's covenant kingdom. The allegation that Christ is seated on the Father's throne, reigning over a spiritual kingdom, the church, simply does not fulfill the promises of the covenant. A literal earthly kingdom must be constituted over which the returned Messiah reigns. Mm -hmm. So, again, you, you see, that's the kind of things that 
that people teach the premillennial doctrine. We we put that question out. What, what kind of emails we get back, Jacob? Grant says it, that it teaches about the kingdom, the theory of premillennialism. It is yet to be established in the future. That is the kingdom. The theory is that God sent his son to be the king of the Jews and to set up an earthly kingdom, which had been prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. The Jews rejected Jesus. Jesus announced his plan to build the church, to build, to bridge the gap as a substitute until he could come a second time and establish a kingdom. All right. And Grant, or Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says premillennialism teaches that the kingdom of promise and prophecy as predicted in the Old Testament was postponed because the Jewish reaction uh, of Christ, rejection, rejection of yeah. Christ during the, his earthly ministry. Those of the premillennial persuasion teach that the church was set up as a substitute for the kingdom of Christ and uh, kingdom until Christ could have a second go at it and establish the kingdom at the second stage of his final coming. Yeah. You know, just what well, I, I mentioned this and Kent mentioned this, you know, the idea that the Jews rejected Jesus. He wanted to be king. But they wouldn't have him. They rejected him. You know, that's actually just totally contradictory what the Bible says. In John chapter 6, verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So Jesus actually avoided. He, he was making conscious effort to avoid being forcibly coronated as the king of the Jews. Yeah. And, and, and yet the premillennialists, I don't know what, I don't know what they say about that verse, but they, their, their position is directly contradictory to it. All right. But we know when Jesus was, uh, before Pilate, uh, and Pilate was questioning him in John 18, Verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Yeah. I mean, again, the the theory of premillennialism and what it suggests, and we're going to talk more about this at the end of the lesson, why this is important and, and, and what are all the implications and ramifications of premillennialism. But again, the basic idea is the kingdom's not has never yet been established, and we're still waiting for it. And it will it will happen when Jesus comes back uh, after the rapture, after the tribulation. When Jesus returns, he'll set up an earthly kingdom. And we would have nothing against this idea if it was supported in the scriptures. But we see far too many contradictions with what the scriptures teach for this to have a remote chance of even being a valid doctrine. Dwight in Iowa sends an email, says, My understanding of premillennialism is that they teach the kingdom has not yet been established until after Christ comes and reigns for a literal thousand years. I think that's right. I mean, that's, again, just so many variations of the theory of premillennialism. But the one thing they all have in common is they don't believe the kingdom is currently existing. We believe that it is, and we're going to be trying to press that in our study tonight. All right, we need to get a break, and we'll get your comments in the chat room. Hey, while we're doing that, you might send in a comment about a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study, a guest anonymous question for a future episode. Is it sinful to pray for your own death? And I hope this program hasn't prompted that question. Wow. Yeah, maybe, pray for your own death. Maybe listening to this program has caused someone to think I don't know. That. that sounds rather serious. Uh, we'll have to take that under consideration. Yeah, we do want to talk about that. All right, don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Here's a quick thought. 
I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 11. Are you putting God's word in your heart every day? The psalmist is saying to store up the word of God in your heart. Now there's a plan to keep you from sin. It's what we do when we're not in God's word. So today's encouragement is to store it up. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Nothing will work unless you do. Don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. The person who says that something can't be done should never interrupt the one who is actually doing it. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. Back on the program. As we talk about um, the doctrines of premillennialism, the idea that the kingdom does not exist now. All right. Let's, let's move on in our study and ask the second question we put out to our update list today. What does Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's interpretation of it predict about the Lord's kingdom? Of course, that, that, that dream of Nebuchadnezzar and, and Daniel interpreting it is found in Daniel chapter 2. Now, we don't have time to to go into tremendous detail about that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, but re, we want you to remember that it was it was an image of a, of a, of a, a man, a, a form of a man. He had a head of gold, breast and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, and legs and feet of iron mixed with clay. As as Daniel interpreted that in verse 37, he said that the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, Babylonian Empire. After him would come the 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 uh, the breast and arms of silver represented the, the the Medes and the Persians. That was the next great empire. After Babylon fell, the Persian Empire. After the Persian Empire, the next great empire was Greece. And that's the belly and thighs of brass represented Greece. And then in verses 40 through 41, the legs and feet of iron mixed with clay, that represented the Roman Empire. So four great worldwide kingdoms are represented in the vision that Nebuchadnezzar saw. And and, And they are in historical succession. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. But... And Daniel explains that. And again, we don't have time to read or go into detail of all of that vision, but it's a great study in Daniel chapter 2. Now, he doesn't call them out explicitly, all of the kingdoms out explicitly, but we know from history yeah. that, that these fit. Yeah, that's right. And, and again, that's a rather detailed study itself. But I, I don't really think that anybody disagrees about that interpretation. Uh, the key verse is verse 44. So the, the last kingdom was the, the Roman kingdom. And verse 44 in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. So in the days of the Roman kings, there would be a, a, an eternal kingdom set up. Uh, God of heaven would set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed. Again, I don't think that there's any disagreement about the understanding of the, of the progression of those kingdoms. In fact, premillennialists, they also agree that the Roman Empire was to be in existence when... The millennial kingdom is set up. They believe that there will be a restored Roman kingdom. They they understand that Daniel's prophecy indicated that the kingdom would be set up in the times of the Roman kings. 
And so in order for it to still be a future kingdom that hasn't been set up yet, they have to get a renewed or restored Roman Empire in place so that Daniel's prophecy can come true. And and every once in a while in the news, you'll hear some uh, some crazy twist or turn put on this. Back several years ago when the European Union was formed, premillennialists were saying, there you have it. There's the restoration of the Roman Empire. That's the newly restored Roman Empire getting ready for the Lord to come back and set up his kingdom. They know that the Roman Empire was predicted by by Daniel to be the kingdom in power when when the be the empire in power when the Lord's kingdom was established. And so now since they think the kingdom has been established, they've got to get the Roman Empire back in place. And they're grasping at straws to try to figure out how to do that. They, they were they were pretty keen on the idea that the European Union back I, th- I don't know that was when, was when did they was that formed in the 90s I'm not mm. sure uh, but they were thinking that that that's the precursor of, of the coming kingdom yeah well um, obviously obviously that's straining to get to a point it is and um, again you could look at the book of Daniel in a lot of detail but the rest of the book we see this theme over and over again of these kingdoms being described as what's going to happen. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 sets the stage, but the rest of the book we're seeing more details about these transitions of kingdoms. Yeah. In chapter 12, I believe chapter 12 is talking about the coming of, of the Messiah and the establishment of the kingdom. There's an interesting thing that's said there in verse 1. And at that time, Michael shall stand up the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even unto that same time. At, thy, at that time, thy people shall be delivered, and everyone that shall be found written in the book. Chapter 12, verse 1 says this, this time when the kingdom was going to be established was going to be a time when there was this trouble like never has existed before. Matthew 24 talks about a time of trouble that had never existed before. And it was all talked about first century The destruction of Jerusalem. Yeah. An interesting bookend on that, too, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 for there shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, and it's the worst tribulation that had ever been and the worst that will ever be. Daniel chapter 12 couldn't be interpreted any time after 70 A.D. when that was fulfilled. Daniel chapter 2 is not talking about something that's going to happen in now or in the future. Exactly right. The book of Daniel really, a thorough study of the book of Daniel, which is quite involved, but it really pins this down. I was looking at chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel says, I saw in the night, this is verse 13, I saw in the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people, nations, and languages to serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. When when was the Lord given this kingdom? Not when he descended from the Father, but when he ascended to the Father, he was given this kingdom. That lines up with Acts chapter 1. His ascension, Acts chapter 2, the establishment of the church. There you go. All right. 
Uh, we could get into the prophecy of the 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 7, I believe it is, but you can lay those out in such a way that it makes perfect harmony, and yep. it ends right up in 70 A.D. Uh, when uh, when all this occurred in 33 A.D. Uh, you see that in, the, in the, this, this prophecy. So we can't take Daniel chapter 2 and put it to future events. Okay. All right. Really good. All right. What are we doing on time? We've we got a minute here. I asked the question, what predictions were made about the kingdom during Jesus' lifetime on earth? Well, there's some pretty plain statements. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, in those days John the Baptist, then in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, beginning verse 14, now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So John the Baptist said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus sent out the 70 on the limited commission, Matthew 10, verse 6 he said, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' commission, the so-called limited commission, was to preach that the kingdom is at hand. You know, we read that quote from R.H. Bowl earlier. It just seemed kind of crazy to suggest. He acknowledges Jesus and John and others of the first century preached the kingdom is at hand, but he says it never has happened yet. Well, if if words mean things, then it it cannot be that we're two thousand years down the road and the at hand has never happened yet. No, that's a long that's a long period of time. If it's two thousand years, sure doesn't line up with that with that idea. Yeah. All right. Um, we got anything in the chat room? Or email. We got well, some actually, email. the chat room. The chat room is dis- the, is discussing that uh, idea of praying for your own death. Eric is in the chat room is answering that question, and I think he does it well. Um, okay, so, thanks, Eric. Yeah, so we, we we ought to talk about that in the future. But um, I, we got a competent a, comp- a competent chat room, and uh, maybe they can handle it by themselves. I don't know. All right, let's get our emailers about the last two questions. Yeah, we we kind of overlooked them on that last question. All right. Uh, what does Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's interpretation of it predict about the Lord's kingdom in Daniel chapter 2? Grant says, Daniel prophesied that the kingdom would be set up in the days of those kings. That is the Roman Empire. Daniel 2.44 states, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will do, endure forever right a great Kent says in Daniel 2 36 through 45 we note an inspired timeline that by Old Testament prophecy sets out the time of the establishment of the kingdom as noted from the succeeding verses of 36 through 38 the main thrust of the entire dream is to demonstrate the eventual historical victory of God over the pagan world in the establishment of his kingdom on earth when we examine the timeline given we note the great empires of Babylon Medo-Persia Greece and Rome according to this timeline the establishment of the kingdom of God was to happen during the days of the kings of the last empire, which is the Roman Empire. That, that place is the establishment of the kingdom during the first century A.D. I think that's right. right. Dwight in Iowa says, Daniel interpreted the dream that after the Roman Empire, the fourth kingdom, that the church would begin. That is Christ's kingdom, not after his second coming. Yeah. I think that's right, too. Okay. All right. All right. Um, 
good questions, good comments, and we get into uh, some more here uh, on the other side of the break. Let's get a break and get this week's bullet point. When we get back, we'll continue the idea of what Jesus said and predictions that he made during his lifetime about the kingdom. We'll get your thoughts there. Any verses that you throw in in the chat room about um, what the future of the kingdom is uh, was prophesied about and what Jesus said about it, throw some of those verses in the chat room. We'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, Give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. When it comes to sharing the gospel with others, many Christians are like the fellow who attended a seminar on the power of positive thinking. He told his friend as they were leaving the meeting, I'm going to try it, but I don't think it will do any good. Too many Christians fail to do their duty to God, not because they've been discouraged by previous bad experiences, but because they don't think their efforts will do any good. For these folks, we would offer these two simple suggestions. First, you may truly be surprised at the results that are possible if you would just try to share the truth with some other person. The New Testament is full of examples of people who were converted to Christ who would not have been considered as likely prospects. The 3,000 believers on Pentecost included folks who had cried out for Jesus' own death. Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8 was a religious false teacher, yet he obeyed the gospel. The apostle Paul had been a rabid persecutor against the church, yet he was converted. You say that your efforts won't do any good? You might just be surprised if you'd try. Secondly, always remember that our labors are not measured by the harvest gathered, but rather by the seed sown. Note in the parable of the sower, Luke 8, beginning verse 5, that the sower sowed the seed in places where it was likely to grow, but also in places where it likely wouldn't grow. He simply sowed the seed. That's our job, too. The seed is the word of God, Luke 8, verse 11 says. Think positively, Christian. You can share the good news with others. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. To remind you, this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. You can send an email at any time to questions at collegeview.com with your questions. And you can also watch lots of videos, Kyle. Yeah, which on our College View live stream YouTube page. Uh, which we can, there's a lot of studies. We're doing a good study of Old Testament uh, characters. We just studied Joshua last night. So a lot of 
A lot of good things coming out. A lot of good I, I really enjoy those kind of studies, Kyle, uh, character studies. We're doing yeah. that on Wednesday night. And like you said, last night we talked about Joshua. What a great, what a great man of God Joshua was. And uh, uh, just, you know, it's, it's not a, a technically difficult study when we go through these character type studies. Uh, but there's just so much practical application you can gain from studying those great men of faith uh, uh, in the Old Testament. Absolutely. So that's on Wednesday night, but if, if you can, we, we have the live stream. It, it's live every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock Central Time, but it immediately goes into an archive, and, and Kyle builds playlists for all those uh, successive studies. So, yeah. And I know you have to look it up on YouTube. I can find it from the homepage of collegeshoe.com. I that's just right. click on that little button right there. That's or right. Come visit. It's simple. Yeah. Come on by the building where we're... You know, yeah, if you're service. in the, if you're in our area, we want you to come and visit us in person for sure. Okay, but it's almost like you're in person with Kyle's video quality. It is. He does a really good stunning, job. stunning. All right, all right. So let's. So where have we got? We we know sort of the the premises of premillennial doctrine, and primarily the idea that the kingdom has never been established yet. We talked about Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's interpretation of a prophetic interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that clearly points to the, that the kingdom, that the Lord's eternal kingdom would be established in the days of the Roman kings. We know that Jesus and John the Baptist and others in the first century were teaching it's now, man. The time is at hand. It just so happens the Romans were in control at that yeah. point. So the next question we asked was, how do the events on the day of Pentecost relate to the prophetic predictions about the kingdom? All right. So we, I, I think all of our listeners are plenty, uh, certainly familiar with Acts chapter 2 and the events on the day of Pentecost. Here's, here's some things. So we're wanting to point out that what happened there was the fulfillment of prophecy. The kingdom was established. Some things... Background things to to establish. The day of Pentecost certainly happened in the days of the Roman kings, as Daniel two said it would be. Well, it ha- would have to. I mean that, and that, and and it, so historically, time wise, it's the right time. It's mm-hmm. the Roman kings. We know that yeah. the Romans, in fact, were uh, in control. They were governing Judea at that time. Uh, we, we know that. The Jews had to take Jesus before the Roman governor Pilate to get permission to crucify him. So clearly the Romans were in control when when the day of Pentecost came to pass. We know that it was after he had ascended to his father. Remember that's what, that's Daniel what said. 7 said, after he ascends, uh, he'll, he'll come to, before the Ancient of Days and, yeah. and a kingdom will be delivered to yeah, him, right? So uh, Acts chapter two happens after Jesus has ascended to heaven, okay. and it was within the immediate time frame when John and Jesus and others were preaching that the kingdom was at hand. All of this fits for the day of Pentecost being the significant day. Okay. Now let's walk through a few more things about the day of Pentecost. Jesus said, Jesus had said that some listening to him in person when he was here in person that some who were listening to him would not die until they saw the kingdom come with power mark 9 verse 1 jesus said unto them verily i say to you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death 
till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. That locks it down there to within the next 40, 50 years. Within that generation. So, again, the premillennials have got a lot of problems that they can't explain. If the kingdom hasn't come yet, somewhere, maybe hiding away in caves somewhere, there's some over 2,000-year-old people who are still waiting because Jesus said they wouldn't die. There would be some living while he was there. While Jesus was on earth, while he was speaking in in the early first half of the first century, Jesus said there be some there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. The kingdom had to come in that first century time frame. Now, as you're giving these arguments, just remember if you're having to fight with the scriptures. If they're if they're if your interpretation that you're standing on of one passage is causing you to have to wrestle with all these passages, perhaps your interpretation of that other passage is not correct. Exactly. Yeah. Keep on going there. So so hang on to that word power. There'd be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Hang on to that word. That's that's Mark nine one. Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the power. Luke 24, verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So Jesus told his apostles, you wait in Jerusalem for, and you'll receive power. The power. The kingdom's going to come with power. Wait in Jerusalem. You'll have the power. Okay. He said, in Acts 1, he told them that they would receive this power. Uh, by virtue of the Holy Ghost, Acts 1, verse 8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So wait, he says, wait in Jerusalem for the power. You're going to receive the power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And when the Holy Ghost came upon them on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, they received that power. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That all fits. Jesus said, some living, some, some, there are some here who will not die till they see this kingdom come with power. You apostles, wait in Jerusalem for the power. You, uh, Acts 1, you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. Acts 2, the Holy Ghost came upon them on the day of Pentecost. They received the power. Seems to fit, doesn't it? That That, all fits. There's no no twisting or turning or wrestling there to make that work. And so the day of Pentecost is the the key day. That's when the kingdom was established in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. According to the predictions of Jesus and John the Baptist and everybody else, and in compliance with the commands that Jesus had laid on his apostles, the, the, the kingdom came with power. All right. What do you think? 931-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. The chat window is a little quiet tonight, although it's starting to heat up. Brian says in Acts 1, verse 9, Jesus tells the apostles they would bear witness of him throughout the world. I believe this scripture addresses his sovereignty, uh, sovereign, uh, so- sovereignty as Lord and King. Do premillennialists contend Jesus reigns without a kingdom? All authority has been given to him on heaven and earth. Or do they believe that he hasn't been fully anointed? That's a great question, Brian. I, they, 
they would deny that, but in practical in practicality, what you've said is is the the ramifications of their doctrine. All right, um, uh, Jeanette from Vermont. Good to hear from Jeanette. In Luke 16, verse 16, Jesus states that the people were pressing into the kingdom. In Colossians 1, verse 13, says we are transferred into the kingdom. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John says he is in the kingdom of Christ. So, um, sure sounds like the kingdom exists now, according to what Jeanette has posted there in the chat room. Thank you, Jeanette, for your comments. I think that's exactly right. Okay. Now, the other, I, th- I think the other thing that pins this down, Jacob, is that Ever after the day of Pentecost, the kingdom was spoken of as being in existence. So, remember, uh, Jesus, so before Pentecost, Jesus said, Mark 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. So, before Pentecost, while Jesus was alive on earth, he said the kingdom is at hand. But in Colossians 1, verse 13, Paul said, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Past tense. Past tense. So Jesus said, it's, it's at hand, future. Paul said, now it exists and we have been translated into it. You know, that's that's... I, I think that's one of the greatest arguments to make about the existence of the kingdom is Colossians 1.13. He hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. For all those who say the kingdom doesn't exist, what does that mean? How do you make any sense of what Paul said when he said he has, past tense, he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? All right, 931-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Uh, that's the verse that Jeanette in the chat room referenced as well, past tense. Yeah. What has he translated us into if it isn't the kingdom? Exactly right. So let me give you some more examples. No, no, we're saying before Pentecost, the, all of the statements were anticipatory. After Pentecost, all of them are reflective, looking back. Uh, Mark 9, 1, we already read that. Jesus said, I say that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come of power. Jesus, Mark 9, 1, said, it's soon, it hadn't happened yet, but some of you standing here will will still be alive when the kingdom comes. But it was still anticipatory. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, the Hebrew writer says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That was, let us be grateful for receiving past tense we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken keep going peter matthew 16 verse 19 jesus said to peter i will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven but it, it notice it was it was a promise it was still future i will give you the keys of the kingdom but in revelation 1 verse 9 john John says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in the tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in an isle that is called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John said, I am your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. John said, I'm in the kingdom. Peter, Jesus told Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, but it hadn't happened yet. But John, looking back, says, I'm, I'm, I'm with you in the kingdom. 
one more one more time. Jesus said when he instituted the Lord's Supper, Matthew twenty six twenty nine, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Matthew twenty six twenty nine. But Paul said in First Corinthians eleven verse twenty six, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. The Lord's Supper is is observed in the kingdom. Jesus said it wouldn't be observed until the kingdom came. Now we observe it in the kingdom. Yep, they were observing the first century. That meant the kingdom was in place. What do you think about that? Give us a call. We want to hear from you. You know, now, there's a lot of verses here that say the kingdom is in place. But I see verses that say that Christ is going to sit on David's throne. So maybe it's the wrong interpretation to interpret that, that he's going to sit on the literal throne in literal Jerusalem. Maybe I need to reinterpret that passage so I don't have to make it fight and contradict these other passages. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, other, and, and the other prophecies. You know, there are some prophecies that are difficult to understand. Some prophecies you maybe could look at as being, well, that's a future literal kingdom. But if I take that interpretation... It's going to make me step all over these passages that are so clear yeah. about the kingdom existing now. All right. Let's see what our emailers say, Dave. All right. Here's what uh, Jesus' predictions were about the, king, about the kingdom during his lifetime. Grant says he, re, he, he predicted the kingdom hand is at hand or near in Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. The apostles were given authority in the kingdom, Matthew 16, 18, and 19. I pray to you. I pray to you. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Well, he was given the keys with authority. Peter was. Is Peter still around? He would have had any authority if the kingdom wasn't there in the first century. Good point. Matthew. You know, if, hang on to that just for a minute, Jacob. A, a point that we ought to make, we haven't said it yet. Is notice how in that immediate context, the the church and the kingdom are used interchangeably. Matthew sixteen eighteen, Jesus said, "Thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven." The church and the kingdom are used interchangeably there, and that's the point that we've got to ultimately conclude is. The premillennialists have the church being one thing and the kingdom being something else. The New Testament teaches the church is the kingdom. All right. And he said, he goes on. He says, people alive in the time of Christ were to be were to witness the coming of the kingdom. Mark 9, 1, Luke 9, 27, Luke 30, 12, 31 and 32. But seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And he says it was to be a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. John 8 verse 36 which we referenced my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world then would my servants be fighting so that i would not be handed over to the jews but as it is my kingdom is not of this realm and uh, he goes on and references uh, luke chapter 17 verses 20 and 21 now having been questioned by the pharisees as to when the kingdom of god was coming he answered and said to them uh, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. All right. So good passages, good arguments there from Grant. And um, Kent says Christ gave explicit instruction during his earthly ministry regarding the establishment of the kingdom. Such was, number one, at hand at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Matthew 4, 12 through 17. 
there would be those who are standing, uh, who are alive during the earthly ministry of Christ who would see the kingdom established, Mark 9, 1. And number three, Christ referred to his kingdom as also being his church, Mark, Matthew 16, 18, and 19. Thank you for that. Kent, anything from Dwight there? Yeah, Dwight, Dwight mentioned some of the same verses. Matthew 3, 2, his kingdom was at hand. And John eighteen thirty six, his kingdom was not of this world. David follows in the chat room and asks, what are the keys to the kingdom? Uh, well, I th- what does a key do? It opens a door. And, and so Jesus told Peter, I will give thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What, what, would, what, would, what would the key do? It would open access to the kingdom of heaven. What did Peter literally receive? He, re- he received the inspired word of God. He, he was the one who preached on the day of Pentecost and, and explained the establishment of the kingdom. And so the keys weren't, it wasn't, a, it, it obviously wasn't a physical, literal set of keys. It was a, the keys in the sense of that which would unlock or open access to the kingdom. It, had, it was the gospel. All right. Brian references Jeremiah 22, verses 28 through 30, tells us that no descendants of Jeconiah would ever set and rule from Jerusalem. It isn't a physical kingdom in which Christ reigns. Oh, boy, that's a great one, Brian. I think that is really true. You know, the premillennials have got so many problems. There's, there, there, there's so much contradiction in their position. Uh, their position contradicts the Bible so much. But a really good one uh, that shows that Jesus could never reign in Jerusalem on a physical throne of David restored, as as Brian points out, Jeremiah twenty two twenty eight through thirty says that no descendant of Jeconiah would ever sit and rule in Jerusalem. Jesus is a descendant of Jeconiah. Jesus cannot rule over a physical kingdom in Jerusalem. All right, again, we're really seeing, good, Brian. We're really seeing good. lots of forced contradictions that show that this interpretation cannot be right. We need to get our last break, and then we'll get back. It's a foot race to the end. We need to talk about the implications of this. Why is this important, anyway? All right. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. In a recent survey conducted among Americans, 6.4% of females and 4.9% of males identified themselves as homosexual or transgender. Over recent decades, studies have shown that American society has grown more accepting of this conduct. In 2001, 53% of respondents stated they believed homosexual relations to be morally wrong, but in 2020, this number had fallen to only 32%. That information is via Statistica. The word of God says in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. And we're back on the program, going to the top of the hour here quickly, and we talk about why is it important. And we've skipped some of our emailers' response. How do the day incidents of the day of Pentecost relate to the prophetic predictions about the kingdom? Grant says it's in the last days, Isaiah 2.2, Acts 2.17. All nations will stream into it, Isaiah 2.2, Acts 2, verse 5. And the wall will go forth from Zion, Isaiah 2, verse 3, and Acts 2.14 through 40. So lots of comments there about how... Um, that these prophecies were fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. I like how Grant does that. How is the kingdom referred to after Pentecost, spoken of as it's, as it's already in existence? He gives a whole list of verses. Yeah, quickly, take notes. Acts 8.12, Acts 20.25, 20, Acts 28, 28 verse 23, Acts 28.30 and 31, 1 Corinthians, or, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Revelation 1, 5 and 6, Revelation 1, verse 9. And uh, Kent says the events that happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 are in the establishment of the New Testament church also prove that the church and the kingdom are the same. Mark 9.1, Acts 2.47. The kingdom prophecies of the Old Testament in so being fulfilled on Pentecost in Acts 2 prove that the kingdom of promise and prophecy was that of a spiritual entity fulfilled in the church, not an earthly political power, John 18.33-37. It's interesting to note that that following Pentecost in Acts 2, the kingdom is referred to as an extant reality yeah okay that's the key and all those verses that grant listed talk about the the current existence of the kingdom so why is this important jacob i think we got to conclude on this and we're just about out of time but it's the reason why that so somebody said well, why, why 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 make a big deal out of this why i don't understand why you all are so wound up about this why are you even bothered to talk about this if people want to believe that the king that there's going to be an earthly kingdom in the future let them, let them believe it big deal yeah well the reason it's important is simply for one reason it's another it's another gospel it's not the gospel of christ it's not new testament truth uh, Paul said plainly in Galatians 1 verse 8, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. This is another gospel. Premillennialism is another gospel. It's it's contrary to the scriptures. It's It contradicts the scriptures. It teaches what the scriptures don't teach. It is And, and for that reason, it's condemnable and needs to be condemned. Uh, well, Go ahead. Yeah, that's not the only reason that there's a problem with it. Go ahead. It's blasphemous at its core. I think so. It says that Jesus was a failure. And, in fact, Jesus was a liar. He says he came to fulfill the law. He didn't fulfill it if he left without fulfilling the prophecies. Yeah, you know, Peter said in First Peter 2, verse 21, that we should follow the example of Jesus who, quote, did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. The idea of guile is deceptiveness. But Jesus actually was deceptive. When he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, yeah. that wasn't true. Right. It, it actually, Jesus said, well, basically, Jesus said, my, I'd like my kingdom to be of this world. He said, these Jews are keeping me from doing what I want to do. I would have an earthly kingdom if it wasn't for these ugly Jews. You know, I, I really think that what you said is is so true, that that the idea that mortal men could prevent the sovereign God of heaven from accomplishing his will. That's just blasphemy. 
Jesus wanted to establish an earthly kingdom, and he couldn't because the Jews wouldn't let him. Really? I, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to take that position. All right. Lots of issues with this, uh, and we see uh, that it simply cannot be biblical. Kent says uh, all of this is crucial of a crucial importance because that salvation is found in the, his, this church or kingdom. Acts 2.47 Colossians 1, 13 and 14. If the kingdom of Christ has not yet been established, that would mean that there is no redemption through the blood of Christ, neither the forgiveness of sins. Good angle there. God is adding to the church daily those that are being saved. Colossians 1, uh, verses 13 and 14. Uh, give us that idea of the kingdom. So if the church is the kingdom, then we are not being saved because we're being added to the kingdom when we're saved. If the kingdom's not in existence, we can't be saved. Good yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, an early quote that we that we mentioned says that the idea. This is from J. Dwight Pentecost in in his book Things to Come. He said. The idea of Christ seated on the Father's throne reigning over a spiritual kingdom, the church, does not fulfill the promises of the covenant. A literal earthly kingdom must be constituted over which the returning Messiah reigns. A lot of that, we haven't talked about this. There's so much on this premillennialism. But premillennialists believe that the kingdom has to be established because God made promises to the Jews that have never been fulfilled. God's got to keep his word. And therefore, there's got to be an earthly kingdom so that those promises can be fulfilled. Specifically, God made land promises dating all the way back to Abraham that have never been fulfilled. So there's going to have to be a physical kingdom in the future so that those land promises can come to pass. Again, that's anti-biblical, totally contradicted. Joshua chapter 21, verse 43, the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give to their fathers. They possessed it and dwelt therein. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. All right. uh, again, it's, it's, it's really quite frustrating that they take those views that are in open contradiction to the plain statement of Scripture, and yet it's almost like it just they just gloss over that. It just passes them by. Absolutely. Um, it's so it's so um, important. He fulfilled the land promise. He fulfilled the kingdom promise, the great nation promise. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, you shall be to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He fulfilled the nation promise. He fulfilled the land promise. When Christ came, he fulfilled the seed promise. Exactly. There are no more promises left to be fulfilled. Exactly. They're all fulfilled. Yeah. All right. Um, Dwight and Michelle, if the kingdom hasn't come and the church does not exist, why did Jesus die for us? What did all those thousands of people get added to on the day of Pentecost? Good question. And again, we probably did underemphasize the importance of of the synonymous reference church kingdom, church kingdom. The church is the kingdom. The kingdom is the church. We get back to what we started with. You can't take one passage and interpret it in such a way that it has to fight with and contradict other passages in the Bible. And if I'm going to interpret certain prophecies that may be difficult to understand in a way that forces contradictions with these clear passages, that interpretation has to be wrong. Exactly right. All right. Kyle, comments from you. Um, That's a good study. It's essential to understand. It's a good study. All right. Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. 
All right. I appreciate you for uh, being here tonight, and we hope you benefit from our study and discussion of God's Word. You have questions, you have comments, you agree, you disagree. Questions at collegeu.com is the address to use at any time. Send in those topic suggestions as well. How's that looking? You got any on your stack? Uh, a little, my stack is a little thin right now. I need some, need need some, some questions. Contribute to that so we can have some Lister uh, submitted questions on a future edition. Don't go anywhere or don't don't make plans to be back here this next time, this time next week for another edition of Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.